0: Well, do keep that passage open in front of you as we continue our way through Mark's Gospel. You might want to turn me down a bit, Elijah. Thank you. I'm blessed with a boomy voice. You might want to turn down even more, or curse, depending on the situation. Let us pray before we look again at God's Word. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his words that we have just heard read. And we pray that as we look now uh, at this passage, you would open our eyes to see the newness of Jesus and his way. And we ask this in his name. Amen. If I were to say, out with the old... Could anyone finish the sentence? Yeah, it is a very common saying. Out with the old, in with the new. Uh, and sometimes when we say that, we are literally, we're referring to literally removing old objects that have ceased working and putting in new ones uh, that do work. Uh, or sometimes we're referring to leadership. Where we're saying out with the old government, in with the new government. Hopefully that's done peacefully. Uh, And sometimes we're referring to technology. Out with the old overhead projectors, in with the new data projectors, out with the old data projectors, in with the new TV screens. It keeps changing. Uh, Sometimes it's referring to relationships. Out with those old friendships which were strained and damaged and in with the new friendships uh, with those new people. Out with the old and in with the new as we've followed the book of mark over the last few weeks we've seen that jesus is different he is not like the teachers of the law okay he teaches as one with authority and we've seen that he backs up that authority with Um, demonstrations of God's power. We've seen him demonstrate his power over demons, over sickness, over uncleanness, over paralysis, and even over sin, the worst of our problems. In first century Israel, Jesus is very much the new and the different. But in today's little passage... Jesus is asked if he's going to maintain the status quo with Israel's religious practices of the time. Let's look at the question that he gets asked. Have a look again at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus is asked, on the face of it, what seems a simple question, why don't you and your disciples fast? And to add to the pressure of the question, though, it's pointed out that other people do fast. In fact, John the Baptist and the Pharisees, they're fasting. And the, the implication of that little bit of extra information there is it puts pressure on Jesus and his disciples being the odd ones out. So why don't Jesus and his disciples fast? Well, before we look at the answer, we need to define what this fasting is that they're referring to here. Uh, first of all, we know it wasn't dieting uh, or uh, being off your food because you're unwell, uh, or even fasting due to mourning. It wasn't that either? No, what it was talking about was the regular weekly fasting. That was part of the orthodox religious belief at the time. Uh, There is evidence of this regular weekly religious fasting from both inside the Bible and from other sources that are extra to the Bible. For although the Old Testament law doesn't require regular weekly fasting, it was something that teachers had suggested and then it had crept into Israelite religious practice over over the years. And it was, by the time that Jesus arrived on the scene, very much the thing to do in first century Israel if you were a religious person. If you're a tax collector or a sinner, well, don't worry about it. But if you're a religious person, then this was standard religious practice. It's a little bit like pilgrimages. There's nothing in the Bible to suggest that Christians should go on pilgrimages to Jerusalem or on the Camino de Santiago, or out to Mount Wayo, or anywhere for that matter. Uh, It's just a practice that has crept into some Christians' worldview over time. And in a similar way, regular weekly fasting had crept into first century religious practice, and was by then kind of like the thing to do. And of course, by not fasting... Jesus and his disciples could be accused of taking the easier, less spiritual way. They could be accused of copping it out. Copping out because fasting is painful and hard. If you don't believe me, try doing it for an extended period. And so Jesus and his disciples could be accused of being, well, pragmatic at the very least. That they're not doing the fasting because they're really just soft and decadent. What's more, by this time, fasting was so part of the religious traditions of the time that Jesus could also be accused of rejecting the religious traditions. And that might not seem like much of a slur to us in the West. Because in the West... Uh, we tend to honour innovation and dishonour or despise tradition. But we are probably the only culture in the world even today that has that attitude towards traditions. In most places today, and particularly in first century Israel, tradition is honoured and revered. And in a highly traditional culture, this is a serious Slur on Jesus if the answer is, no, we don't fast. So what is Jesus' response? We'll have a look at verse 19. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So Jesus responds with a metaphor about a bridegroom, and it's pretty clear who the bridegroom is. It's Jesus. But what's not clear is what he means by this. Well, in the, the norm in first century Israel was to feast at weddings. Uh, it is, happily, the norm in modern Australia to feast at weddings, except we don't call them feasts, we call them wedding receptions, which, can I say, is a much more boring name for a feast feast. Maybe we should go back to calling them feasts. Yeah, that would be much more fun, wouldn't it? Uh, <clears throat> maybe that's a discussion you can have at morning tea time. As you're feasting, you can talk about that. Um, but the norm at the time was that there was, uh, everyone was allowed to break whatever regular weekly fast they were doing for a, a wedding feast. That was like the the known exception to the rule, if you can put it that way. Uh, Even rabbis were allowed to break their fast for a wedding. Weddings were so important. So Jesus states that, metaphorically speaking, he is the bridegroom to his disciples, and he claims this special exemption. And then Jesus goes on in verse 20 to allude to his death, the time when he will be taken From the disciples. At that point, they will be fasting, but not the regular weekly religious fasting that was the religious practice of the day. They'll be fasting because they're mourning, mourning the death of Jesus. So, Jesus' response is in effect to end the regular religious weekly fasting practice. Those of you who are keen on morning tea are probably glad of this. Um, But um, it doesn't mean that Christians can't fast. Christians can fast from time to time if they find it helpful. But nowhere is it commanded of believers, as far as I'm aware of, that we should be fasting. The New Testament assumes it as a common cultural practice in places like the Sermon on the Mount, when it says, when you are fasting, okay, And describes it in the book of Acts, but it doesn't prescribe it. It doesn't say this is what you should do. So regular weekly uh, religious fasting is something that is out with the old. And then Jesus goes on to make a a general point about newness and oldness. Have a look at it in. The next two verses, 21 and 22. No one sews a patch of untrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Here, Jesus uses two similar metaphors of newness and oldness to make a point. The two new things, the patch and the wine, don't fit in the old things, the garment and the wineskins. And in both stories, it comes apart at the seams, literally. The new doesn't fit with or into the old. So, what does he mean by this metaphor? Well, the context of the previous question gives us the answer. It's the old religious practices that Israel had added to the law of Moses that Jesus is speaking about here. He's saying that his new way doesn't fit with this old way at all. It can't be with it and it can't be part of it. In short, Jesus has not come to start a new section of first century Judaism. He's come to start a new way to God altogether. Yes, it's a, Jesus' new way is a fulfillment of the Old Testament, but it's not a fulfillment of the laws that they had added to God's word. Okay, The bits that they had tacked on over time. And so from that, it's a radical change from the religion of the day. If you want to think of it in terms of a way that rhymes, Jesus' new way is more of a revolution than an evolution. And friends, that radical change is nowhere more clearer than in the path of salvation. For instead of following a host of rules made by men, Jesus tells us to trust him for salvation. As it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When we believe in Jesus, that is when we are saved, not when we keep a whole host of rules that have been made up for us or that we make up for us. And that way of salvation, by faith in Jesus, is both a fulfilment of the Old Testament and a radical change from the religion of the age in first century Israel. And friends, let me say, it's still totally different from the religion of the age. For today, if you walked into the street and you asked a group of people, why should God let you into heaven? You ask them that question, most of them would respond by saying, because I'm a good person. Or if they were Ocker, because I'm a good bloke, mate. And essentially, that is exactly the same as first century Judaism, except it's a different set of rules to keep. For today, the rules are things like love your family, work hard, give to charity, and don't do anything really bad. Like that person over there, who's different from me. And if you do all that, then you're good enough to go to heaven. That's how most Australians, indeed most people around the world, think. And friends, let me tell you this morning that those who live by those rules and die by those rules are going to be disappointed when they stand before God. For Jesus tells us to trust him for salvation and not to trust in our own goodness. So if you're here this morning and you're trusting in the rules that you have made up and keeping them to get you to heaven, then let me urge you to think again. That is the old way that has never worked. And the new way, the new Jesus way, is by trusting Jesus. So let me encourage you to put your trust in Jesus. And if you need evidence to believe in Jesus, well, we happen to be starting a course today at 11.45 over there in the hall where you can look at the source documents, discover Jesus for yourself, ask any question you like, and make up your mind about Jesus. It's called Christianity Explored. And if you're interested... Come and grab me after the service. But if you're someone who's already trusted in Jesus, then you are part of that new way, that new Jesus way. And let me encourage you to rejoice in the salvation that is yours through faith in Jesus. And pray for others, that they too may trust Jesus and be saved. For it is only the new Jesus way that actually saves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that your son Jesus did not come to tweak our natural human religion of keeping rules to be right with you. But Lord, he came with a revolution where our salvation is through faith in your son Jesus and completely unrelated to anything we do. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to trust your Son, Jesus, for life and for our eternity. May we trust Jesus and then rejoice, resting in the salvation provided for us. And then move us by your Spirit To pray for others, that they too may hear the good news, believe and be saved. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.